Welcome to episode 146 with my guest Hemda. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a couple of hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, go check out the website. You can join the forum, read a blog, take a survey, see how other people filled out surveys, uh, or support the show. Um, what did I want to mention? Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of surveys at the end of this uh, this show. I think this, sh- this show is going to be on the longer side. The, the interview itself is uh, average length, but... Um, I so want to make a penis joke right now, but I I can't quite formulate it. Um, Let's see. I just want to read two struggle in a sentence uh, survey responses. This one was filled out by uh, Beth and about her PTSD. She says, um, crying at the dentist because the chair faces the wall and there are people on both sides. Got to always have an out. Um, This one was filled out by a guy who calls himself enemy, E-N-O-M-I-E, and about his alcoholism and drug addiction, he writes, periods of happiness are getting shorter and more expensive. That is that is such a succinct way to describe alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, bravo. Uh, about his OCD, he writes, what I used to think could be a tool to help reduce my shame has somehow instead increased it exponentially and it shows no sign of relenting. About his codependency, he writes, I want my influence on others to benefit them deeply, but it seems the deeper I get, the more damage I do. He uh, is really good at, uh, at, at summing that up. I uh, want to wish you guys a, a happy uh, happy holiday. Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, my, my feeling about Christmas is it's, it's like a dry hand job. I know that there's presence at the end, but I really just want it to be over with. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. That is very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. Really I'm here with uh, Hemda. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Hemda? Hemda, is that, yeah. Is that a better way to pronounce it? It's really good. I, uh, it's, it's hard to pronounce. It doesn't even exist in the English language, so I have to be a little forgiving. Yeah. Um, you are a pioneer in podcasting. You are half of the podcasting team, Keith and the Girl, and you were probably the first big podcast. Um, um, one of them, I think Twit was pretty big he's not in comedy so i feel like you know especially at podfest which we're at right now people might recognize us a little more than a couple of the techie ones 
but um, well, yeah. you were getting swamped as we walked down the hallway. <laughs> so you were are be- you. being swamped by by people that are uh, that listen to your to your show. And I apologize that I that I've never heard your show. Um, I, I become overwhelmed by the number of choices to listen to in podcasts, and so I shut down and don't listen to any, and take a nap, and then wake up and hate myself for not you mean, listening to any. You mean how I deal with my email? Yes. Is that how? Is it? You get a ton of emails. I try. I try to answer them, but I, I I do get nervous sometimes, and then I have a system where I just ease into it. I just say, okay, let's get rid of the spam first. That'll lower the number of how many are in my inbox, and then let's take an easy one for a second, you know, and then I slowly do it. Uh, I even answer the ones where the uh, Nigerian guy has a million dollars for me in a bank account because I just feel... (laughs) You never know. You never know, and uh, he might be a future friend. Um, Where would be a good place to start with your story? Your your, um, family is Middle Eastern. You were raised in New York? I was, yeah. Uh, I was born in Israel, and when I turned about four, four and a half, we all moved here. I had an older brother and a younger brother. The younger brother was one. Older brother was six. And my family was in Israel. My mother's family is from Iraq, and my father grew up in Iran. They met in Israel. They did pretty well there, and then they wanted to come to, you know, the promised land, which I'm really grateful for, you know, and I'm really grateful that they chose New York also. My mother said that I was sick on the plane. I was such a sickly kid, and when I got to New York, no more sickness. Really? Yeah, I feel like I am a New Yorker. So do you have a Jewish citizenship? I have uh, Israeli citizenship. Israeli citizenship. I have dual citizenship. So we got our American citizenship when I was still under uh, a certain age. So as soon as my parents got it, we got it also. So they they helped us out. I know a lot of people who, um, I don't know a lot of people, but there are people who get screwed by their parents who don't do the right paperwork and they become illegal after a while. And then you're screwed because you grew up in one country you have citizenship in another country, but you don't necessarily, I'm not going to say belong there, but it makes it very difficult. It's not like you could just go to the country of origin and just build a life. Right. And um, are you Jewish? I grew up Jewish. I'm atheist now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, were your parents uh, very religious? They weren't, but they did put me in a Jewish school because bringing me over here, we're surrounded by people who um, are any kind of... Um, religion and so they wanted me to learn about Judaism whereas if I grew up in Israel they wouldn't have put me in a Jewish school because that would have been very religious here they just wanted me to to learn where I came from to learn Hebrew how to read and write how to read the Torah all that kind of stuff so I went from kindergarten through eighth grade place called Salman Schechter don't take your kids there it's very very expensive the education is not really that great um, you can if you're apt to learn, like you'll have a really great education. I know a lot of my peers became lawyers and doctors and all that stuff, but I feel like they were just going to be that. But in terms of learning Hebrew and, and Jewish education, they're very neglectful and they just lean on the fact that you know people like my parents come in and they need to give their kids, they feel the need to give their kids a Jewish education and they'll just put them in that local school because they have a name. Were your parents, um, them being raised in Iraq and Iran? Um, my mother was raised in Israel, but her parents were oh, born and parents. raised in Iraq. Yeah, my okay. my grandmother on my mother's side didn't know how to read or write. Um, well, then your father, who was raised in Iran, what was his experience like uh, 
being Jewish and growing up in, in Iran, he must have felt like such an outsider. Well, it's very difficult to answer questions about my parents specifically and especially my dad because Iranians will not really talk about the way they grew up. I know very little about my parents' upbringing, a little bit more about my mom because she's a little more chatty, but I do learn things. Now that I'm older, they drop a little bit more, but I know that it's... I asked them, you know, because people have asked me that question about them being Jewish from Middle Eastern countries like that. And they said that it's, I don't, they didn't really give me an answer. It just seemed like they just did their own thing and everybody did their own thing. I see. I don't, I do, you know what? I just realized I really don't know. It's very, yeah. very difficult. My father's very stoic, very Iranian. Where would be a good place to start with uh, your story? What do you what give me some snapshots from from your childhood things that stand out moments that were especially painful transformative well, good bad Well I mentioned that I did go to Jewish school but it was really weird for me because I felt still like an outsider and I thought that was weird it wasn't crazy I wasn't getting picked on all the time or anything but I noticed a difference between me and the other Jews specifically in my school and I didn't realize until later that it was a cultural difference, you know? Um, so I had all this Middle Eastern stuff in me and I wasn't belonging to the um, other sort of more white Jews, more American Jews, more New Yorker Jews. Uh, their family seemed to be more lax, uh, more open about things. I more, Would you say more progressive? Um, I guess so, more current. You know, and, and my family wanted to maintain this Middle Eastern upbringing for me. And that meant um, me being a girl specifically was a very, very laid out plan. So work on getting married. Make sure that you're being a good girl the whole time. Otherwise, no one's going to want to marry you. Make sure that you're representing the family very um, uh, modestly and uh stop step stop stepping out of line you know pick up the dishes when you're done or whatever i never did that i never picked up the dishes and it really bothered me because it, it bothered me that i kind of was supposed to here's the thing let me start here my mother oh my god so much stuff hold on <laughs> My mother didn't want us to do housework and she didn't want me to cook because she had to do so much of that growing up. So she wanted to, to give me a little bit easier time growing up. But um, when family came over, it was usually like 30 to 50 people. Oh and my at the, God. Yeah, my mother cooked for every single person. All the things were hot at the same time when they came out. It was absolutely unbelievable. She made it look so easy. And it was uh, it was intricate food. It was all from scratch. She didn't like us having anything that she didn't know every ingredient in for the most part, maybe pizza here and again. But at the end of that big meal, all the women would stand up, the girls, the women would stand up and pick up the plates for everybody and then help bring the next course. And I just was mad about it. And so I just said, no, there are enough people helping out. I don't think that you need me specifically unless you need my brothers you know, I don't understand why my female cousin is moving when she has five brothers, you know, that they can help. So. And how was that received? That there were so many people that I was able to be ignored. <laughs> and I was, I was a very good girl for a long time. And clearly that didn't bother your mom because she had aspirations for you to not be 
put in that role? That was the limit of those aspirations, those sort of more different aspirations. Um, sorry. I see. Entering a different upbringing than she did. Everything else, I think she wanted me to just go through that path. They wanted me to marry a nice Jewish boy. That doesn't sound so bad, but you're in New York. There are a lot of different cultures and religions, and I don't know, it's hard enough to find someone you like, let alone make sure that they're, they look a certain way and are a certain background. You know, I think I was just looking for friends and for people to connect with. So it, it almost sounds like your parents, that like there was an orthodoxy there, but that didn't extend to religion itself. It, well, Middle Eastern is a very, very intense culture. It's almost like a religion. So th it was more traditional than Jewish. If I didn't follow Judaism, they wouldn't be so bothered. But the fact that I chose to date outside of our religion and our culture was really not well received. The fact that I wanted to go away for college did not happen at all because they just were not going to go for that. I moved out at 21, which for Americans is pretty late. And I, you know, I was done. I really wanted to start living my own life and pay rent and, you know, do all that stuff. But they were so mad about it. They didn't talk to me for two weeks after I left. And they, they still for years talked about it. Like when you left, it was, and I was like, left what? Left what? <laughs> but they, they just saw a woman living on her own would never be accepted by the kind of guy that they wanted me to marry. So they needed to get over that. So and they didn't really grasp what was different about America culturally, the way somebody who was raised there. They grasped it, but that's for someone else. They rejected it. Yeah. I see. They're wonderful people. They're intelligent. They are loving. I really know that I had the kind of upbringing that if other people would have that, we'd have less crime. We'd have less sadness. They really took care of me. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. All the food that we ate was good for us. Um, the things that we needed were there all the time. They were affectionate? Oh, the house was immaculate. I once had, oh, oh my God, somebody. Hold on, what kind of an answer was that to the, <laughs> they were affectionate? Oh, no, what did I say? I didn't say affectionate. You, no, they were not affectionate. You said the house was immaculate. Yeah. Which is such a bizarre answer for, for me asking. Oh, they were affectionate. I thought you said immaculate or something. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They were affectionate. Uh, not my dad for sure. My mom a little bit. But it made, no. They, they showed it through food and, and, yeah. and caring about your future. Yeah. And then once they showed it through food, when I reached for more, they said, stop it. You're getting fat. <laughs> How did that feel when they would say that? I always felt fat. Uh and I look back and I'm like, wow, I was really skinny. <laughs> but I can't tell if they were right or wrong because I think now that I'm an adult, I think that they were just trying to prevent me from living a more difficult life. Once you put on weight, it's very difficult to take it off. I think they were just trying to watch my portion control, but everything was maybe matter of fact. And so I, I took it wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't said tenderly. No, it was just, mm -mm, you're done. You know, you reach over for that next thing. It's like, mm, I think you had enough. I was like, okay. What were the issues and how you felt about yourself uh, growing up? Well. Did you have a war with your, with your body because of that? Yeah, well. Uh, um, well, 
I just felt like I didn't understand what I looked like. I, I don't know what other way to describe it is um, because I thought blonde straight hair and blue eyes was pretty. That's the end of the story. You know what I mean? And so I was never going to look like that. You know, small features, but nose. And so I didn't know what to do with my features. My hair, I actually physically did not know how to comb it. <laughs> I had to find out. You have awesome hair, oh, by the thanks. way. It, it was just a frizz ball. I was doing it all wrong, which is, it sounds so vain and ridiculous, but it was very hard to manage until I learned what it was. And that that's the same for all my features. I didn't understand that this could be, you know, something that somebody was attracted to. I just thought if I don't look like a California babe on the beach, it's not going to happen. Also, Middle Eastern people are very hairy. Not cool when you're a girl. So give me some snapshots from from childhood. Moments that made an impression on you, even if they don't um, aren't necessarily dramatic. I don't remember a lot of my childhood before I was in sixth grade, uh, which I don't know if that's normal or not. Um, and I was very nervous to talk to people. I was very, very shy, which is weird because I'm a talk show host now. Um, I had to learn how to unshy myself, which took a lot, but I made it a point to do it. So I was actually conscious of trying to be not shy so that I can talk to people because that was one of my favorite things to do and I just couldn't do it. So, um, and then... Well, can I ask you what helped break that open for you? There's nothing that could help it other than throwing yourself out there. So I would sort of test. I didn't even, I didn't know that I was necessarily making these steps exactly, but um, I just said to myself, next time you have something to say, say it and just eat it if it goes wrong. And I would experiment. I would say something small and I found that it wasn't that big a deal or I did bomb and I just said, just ignore that and just, you know, try again with somebody else. And it was trial and error. Some of that went to a bad place because what happened was, is I was doing this while I was in high school. So it's a very weird age to do that in because your hormones are raging. So instead of being subtle, I was the loudest person in the room. I uh, said the most ridiculous things. I flashed my boobs, you know. So I was going to such an extreme um, that uh, the hardest part actually, when, when I talk to people who about being shy, the hardest part is not being unshy, it's finding a middle ground. Yes. Yeah. Do it, you have an addictive personality? Yes. Okay, because I was going to say that that sounds like really. Uh, oh yeah, addicts struggle with gray behavior. It, we, oh, te we tend to be black or white. Everything really? it's all or nothing. Yeah, we don't do five. We do zero or ten. It's a nightmare. Yeah, it's a nightmare. I love ten. It I feels love so good, but the shame after ten or twelve sometimes is. You know, a, a tip that I learned reading a book by Barbara Walters 20, 25 years ago was she said if you have if you're socially awkward when you're in a conversation with somebody or you're left standing you know in front of somebody and there's that awkward silence take just take an interest in them just ask them about themselves and to this day that is one of the most important pieces of information i have ever learned because if 
I, I sometimes find it difficult to say anything, even if, like, if somebody asks me, how am I doing? Yeah. I oftentimes lock up because I think, well, what is appropriate to share with this person? Do I know yes, them? What yes. am I going to do? Is that going to be boring? Is that going to be too much information? Do I want to talk about that? Because I'm feeling icky about that part right now, or I haven't figured it out. And, and right. so it's just so much easier to ask them about themselves. And then that seems to loosen it up. And if they do ask me about themselves, then I generally have a sense of how safe they are to share certain things with them. Right. That question, how you doing, that's such a loaded question because it's like, well, like you said, how much do you want? Because I don't want to talk about the weather, so I can really tell you how you're doing, but then you might not have an interest. Yeah. I'm shopping for nooses. Your right. turn. <laughs> right. You go. <laughs> that is that is one of my biggest things that I also learned is, yeah, people like talking about themselves, so it's okay to start with that when you have nothing. Um, what was the other thing that I was going to say that was helpful for that, which is completely, I don't know, it escaped my brain. Yeah, but I am. I feel like I'm an addict in a lot of ways. What are the uh, possible addictions that you struggle with, things that you engage in that you're like, oh, really? You're going to, we're going to do this right now, but it feels good. And then afterwards you have a regret. See, it's, I don't know if it's anything horrendous, but. I know I'm addicted to food. I'm self-diagnosed, but um, I could think about it all day long, and I really have to think about um, my intake and the balance and things like that. I thought I was addicted to sex. <laughs> I was going to go to SA, you know, and, and get that done. I think I'm just a horny person. Um, I'm addicted to interact interaction, and so I, I, I need that. Now I'm addicted to uh, electronics and, you know, just generally being on a device all the time. And I have a feeling that I'm just addicted to anything that I like. So like mm -hmm. you said, I don't know how to like anything and just be cool. But I did learn some moderation. I was very codependent and I'm not with my fiance now, who's Lauren. So I-, th I And Lauren is, is a, a trans woman? Trans male. Trans male, so uh, Lauren was biolog is biolo biologically a female. See, this is where it's hard. The, the wording on this could really be offensive to trans people because we, we don't know it yet. And so, and it's also confusing a little bit because you're using male, female, inside, outside, all this kind of stuff. So the way I describe it or I try to describe it is Lauren is trans male. Lauren is male, mm -hmm. um, was born in a female body. So she's female bodied. Um, the brain is male and so would refer would prefer that people refer to him in male pronouns we, I just had a guest two guests ago who um, was born female and has always identified as a male has always felt male and and he, he wants to be referred to as a as a male yeah even though Lauren's not going through transition as much as possible as much as people could recognize him and use male pronouns is appreciated not just for him but for me also but you'll hear me on other shows saying her because I know what people are looking at they're looking at the sex which is what we are on the outside rather than the gender which is what we the really are the expression of who we feel we are yeah because and again you know I have Lauren in my head going it's not that I feel like this. He wishes that he could just be female. It would make it a lot easier, but always identified in his brain as male. Did Lauren identify as a female when you met him? Um, uh, 
transgender is a new word for both of us. I think we both thought it was very, it, we associated with the word tranny, which, you know, is a very... Very offensive. Um, yeah, only because all you see is like hooker, chick with dick, you know, like uh, an extreme, um, it, it really just, not that girls with penises are hookers, but you, you always have that, you know, walk in the street. Um, and that's mainstream exactly. society's introduction exactly. to them. Yeah. So he knew what he was, but he didn't have the wording for it. So he lived in the lesbian community and didn't really, that didn't really always click, but was not sure why and that there were other people like him. So he was just like, I guess I'm a lesbian. I don't know what was up. Our friend Emmy, who studied gender in college, uh, had this book, recognized Lauren as male before he had the words for it, gave that book and said, here, you're a man, <laughs> you know, read this. I think you'll identify was with Lauren it. Was Lauren offended at first or relieved or was it a process? Uh, I think I think the biggest word here is relief, that there's other people like him, that there's uh, a book written about this person, that uh, the trials and tribulations of that life was now laid out in a way that could be so identified and so... Um, it was very encouraging. And then we started learning about, okay, what does that mean? Who else is out there like this? Um, there's the LGBT center. And the LGBT center has the T in it, and yet the LGBT community is still somewhat prejudiced about it. I don't mean to call them out because it's a beautiful home that um, that is that exists for people who are still trying to figure it out even, you know, and they're very welcoming. But the T still... Um, eludes people, I think. So we just learned a bunch of stuff, started meeting more people, or maybe more people were coming out as trans or whatever. And and was Lauren uh, dressing male when you met him? Um, Androgynously? I would say just gender neutral, which is a lot of times what I wear. I mean, I think we're in a society that even if you have a female body, if you wear the same clothes as men like let's say jeans and a t-shirt you're not gonna really stand out i think that sometimes you know and lauren will admit this maybe um just people go oh lesbian you know mm -hmm. so maybe they're not thinking that's a male they're thinking you're dressing a little more masculine so you must be a lesbian right but it wasn't no it wasn't like lauren has long hair at least as long as mine um, killer body. I actually love Lauren's body. It's not that it's, you know, but, but he struggles with it, with his own body. Um, does he hate his body? Does he hate his genitals and his, his breasts? It's hard to speak for him, but I would say at least sometimes, yes. I've, I've read, um, uh, there's a, uh, a listener to the, to the show who just wrote a, um, piece that I read and, he, I'm sorry, she was uh, born female and said that there was two options, transition physically or kill himself. A lot kill of people herself. feel that way. Yeah. And a lot of people just kill themselves. Which is so unnecessary. Yeah. It's a, it's such a huge loss because it, it, it really shouldn't matter that much. 
um, if the difference is me calling you by male pronouns or me losing you, you know, or me recognizing what you say that you are, yeah, let's just recognize each other. You tell me you're like that and, you know, it's not you're telling me that you're honest and you're dishonest. It's not you tell me that, you know, you'll... Um, you'll stay at my house and you'll be uh, respectful and you're not respectful. You're telling me who you are in the core. I hope to do my best to recognize you and to make you feel respected. How long ago did you meet Lauren? Uh, almost five years ago. The, describe it for me. Um, okay, so I had been doing this musical over the course of maybe a decade on and off. I used to sing. And so anytime this show came back on, I was asked to do it, which was really fun. Um, not usually a musical person, but I could sing pretty well, so I can, you know, kind of pass. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody told me, by the way, that you were the best singer that they've ever heard. Oh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I'm inclined. <laughs> um, and thank you. Uh, and there was this one character in the show that we could never find the right person for. A lot of the characters, a lot of the musicians were just rehired every time. This one just just didn't mesh, didn't do anything. And so here comes Lauren for this, for this round. And I'm thinking, all right, here's another person. Who cares? They'll be gone by the next show, you know? And uh, Lauren introduced me and to, to him. And at the time, we were only using female pronouns. Um, and I thought, eh, Another musical theater person, whatever. Um, at the time, she, but you know what, I'm going to, he. So he was really bright, very welcoming, but I was not in a place, I was not in a right place in my mind to be open to new people at all. So I was just like, okay, that's you. We're going to work together. I'm not going to be a jerk, but whatever. Um, we were doing a table reading. This was, uh, this was an introduction right before the table reading. And the table reading was happening and I was like, wow, this person is one of the most talented people I have ever come encounter with, ever seen, ever heard of. They're right in there. It's absolutely amazing. I was floored. I was like, this is the character. I hope this person's getting paid more than us. <laughs> it's the most professional person we've ever had in this play. It's Were you attracted to him? I think... At that, at that point? I was just... Um, I was just not thinking about it. I was just really going through a hard time. Um, Keith and I used to date and we were going through a hard, a hard time and we either just broke up or were breaking up and it was, I was not thinking about next person or somebody at all. Were Keith and you a couple when you started the podcast? Yeah. And you've survived that. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It turns out... I really like him on the show and we're very compatible in this podcasting thing in a talk show style. Um, we're good buddies, but I think there were a lot of elements missing as a couple. So, um, and I think the podcast kept us together longer. People thought it broke us up, but we love doing the show together. I don't think we stopped do loving doing the show together. Clearly, you've been doing it for six years? Eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. <laughs> and... And you do it five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. So as uh, an hour after we broke up, we went live and did a show and it was fine. And we're a comedy talk show and, and we just work very well together. 
I, I think he is, I, he's probably the funniest comedian. No, he is. He's the funniest comedian I know I've heard of. I am fascinated by how quick he is, by how funny he is. He is very, very talented. And there's no one else that I would rather do the show with. So it's a good thing that it's a good thing because the show is called Keith and the girl. He could easily replace me. <laughs> <laughs> and was the choice to call you the girl just because uh, Hemda is a difficult name to pronounce? Yeah, it was my choice. Yeah. That that was a big part of it. Um, when I was trying to sell myself as a singer, uh, I couldn't because I was talking about myself so much or, or not talking about myself because I couldn't do it. So Keith and the girl helped me with that. I could say Keith and the girl all day long and I'm talking about something else. You know, I'm talking about a project. It's much easier. And also, although I love Keith's humor, he, could we curse? Mm -hmm. He's a motherfucker. <laughs> he, he has called out his ex-girlfriends on things, you know, has, um, has called out really embarrassing moments, you know, and so I was like, let me just be the girl, you know, I'll just, keep a little anonymity which went out the window so quickly i was gonna say yeah i know <laughs> it's not there yeah, if you want to have honesty and intimacy with yeah. your listeners you're not going to hide yeah. your first name from them for very long and i wasn't hiding it but i didn't think that i was uh, it didn't matter to me it was yeah. you know and I, I thought keith and the girl was a much better title by the way to go back when you said were you attracted to lauren i um very shortly after found myself so drawn to this person i i i thought we were magnets we just like kept grab well i know that that's what we're magnets do we kept gravitating towards each other and i i just in a place of such darkness i just saw lauren as a light and so i questioned it because i don't want in a bad time in my life that i just you know cuz that's that's what i tended to do i picked up someone and got addicted to that person and then woke up and thought, this is not right at all. <laughs> so I took it really slow, but I was, it was sunshine in my day. It was fantastic. It was very slow moving. It was very caring. Lauren is a very easy person to love. So I think, and, and Lauren says this also, even if we were just friends, you know, I would love to be your friend and I feel the same way. And I felt that Shortly after, you know, like short, so not in the first meeting, but as soon as I really, that first meeting was, you know, half a second, as soon as I got any interaction and a lot of people feel that way about him, a lot of people. So it sounds like it was a spiritual connection and, and then became emotional and then physical. Well, no, <laughs> it was spiritual, I think then physical, but I was trying to hold my emotions in a lot because I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to promise things that I wasn't ready for. I didn't want Had you ever to been with uh, a female bodied person. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Ish, ish. And I always thought it was queer. And in, in the uh, definition uh, sense of the word queer, I felt a little awkward. Um, it felt very sexual, which feels good. And I was drawn to that person, but I think I mistook friendship and um exploration just no just you know I, I i didn't feel like i needed to do things just to do them but i liked someone so much let's make out <laughs> you know what i mean i think i made those mistakes with guys also we get along so well let's make out but it's, it doesn't really work that way and i've learned how to differentiate that by the way if you're wondering whether or not you are queer 
ask a construction worker. They are the best ones to let you know. How's that? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I had never really been with a female-bodied person, and so so w- was it safe to say that it had never gone beyond making out and kind of light stuff like that? Maybe you know I might have seen a vagina or two. Uh, I didn't care for it really, you know. Um, but uh, so the first time I had sex with Lauren, I wasn't expecting it, although I did shave and everything. Because I just knew something was there. So I thought, let me just, you know, on our first date, I thought, you know, I'll just be ready just in case. But I don't even know what I'm ready for. This isn't going to happen. I'm not really, nothing is lined up for this. But we did. Went back to Lauren's place. And it was spiritual, physical. It was earth-shattering sex it was my jaw was dropped and he'll tell you to this day my jaw is dropped and i'm just looking at him like what just happened i think that he took his hand put it under my chin and just raised it to shut my mouth (laughs) because i was floored i didn't think this was possible i didn't think i was into girls which is all i knew lauren to be at that point um i always thought when I was trying to be with women because I was somewhat attracted to them, that I was missing something. I was missing whatever men had. Nothing was missing here. I was amazed. I'm I'm still amazed, and we're still amazed by each other, and I'm just like, really? This is still going on? This is amazing. keep using the word amazing. What a great Uh, word to describe a relationship, though. I mean, I think most people, their goal is to be in something for how long you've been together? Five years? Almost. Four and a half. For to be in something for four and a half years and to still feel that it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, very thankful. Um, okay, this is, <laughs> this is what I say about being with Lauren. I feel like throughout my life, I always try to do the right thing. Um, I, I tried to be good, tried not to lie. You know, when you say try, I'm sure like some snuck in, but I, I'm not a liar. I don't try to put people in terrible positions. I try to do the right thing, whatever that means. And I think because I did that, I got to be with Lauren. Because I was as I was trying to be because I because I try to be as much of a good person and as much myself as possible, I'm able to be with Lauren. Otherwise I think um, it would have blocked me from experiencing this kind of thing. What are the things that would have blocked you? The impulses or instincts or parts of your personality that would have gotten in that way? Would it be actions that you would have engaged in? Feelings that you would have given into? Um, be, be more specific well, if you could. When you're not yourself, you don't respond as yourself. So I think that's just off-putting. I think that um, we have... I think that somebody so... Um, grounded like Lauren, uh, so seeking of himself and and constantly learning, um, would see right through the BS. Would see would we wouldn't connect because we're not connecting from a place uh, is of, authentic- too- of authenticity. Yeah, and I think that uh, if you're not in a place where you are completely yourself, or at least thriving to be, at least looking for it, at least you know comfortable. Um, enough where you found 
a little bit about what makes what makes you tick and you keep searching for it, you're not going to be with you're not going to surround yourself with people who are good for you. You're not going to look for things that are healthy. You know, as much as I'm addicted to things, I do try, you know, but you're just going to spiral down and so I think that we are truly with each other because we're truly ourselves. What are some of the things that in hindsight would have blown it? How would you have acted? What would you have done? Maybe my manic stage, I have I have uh, my manic state. I have a very manic side to me and if I didn't ground that, um, I would have put him off. Um, maybe saying things that I didn't mean, you know, just because I have to say something. Um, Do you take medication? No. I just needed to not be so worried and I needed to accept some things and and figure out that it's not so bad. You know, it's it's this is a weird comparison, but I needed to accept my hair, for example. It's not going to be blonde. I'm not going to look good blonde. It's not going to be straight, even though I can straighten it. I just don't think I look good. It's big and curly. And when I leave it like that, I feel really good because I am myself. I, I think of that when I when I look at you is uh, I just there's nothing phony um, wow, ab- about you. The way you carry yourself, the way you speak. And I've only known you for two hours now. We met for the first time yesterday. But um, you have an authenticity about you that Thanks. is um, very uh, welcoming. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. I, I don't want to be anything but that because then I have to keep up with that. It's like keeping yeah. up with a lie. You know, you got to make up more lies to make up for it because you're not. Where are you going to go with it? So, you know, when when it feels awkward, I now. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, when you're shy or you feel awkward, I sometimes just point it out. I just do. I just say, you know what? I, I'm I don't know what to say to you right now because I'm feeling really nervous because maybe uh, maybe I admired you for so long, you know, or maybe, um, I just think you're so much smarter than me. So I'm afraid that I'm not going to keep up. So I just want to let you know that. And now I could be myself. And you would say that to Lauren? No, but I I, say that to people, say that to people. Yeah. I just have to point it out because otherwise I'm going to be stuttering and weird. That's amazing that, that you could get to that, to that place. Cause most people are, would never even occur to them to say that because that's a level of vulnerability that is most people don't reach through their own intuition. And I get where, that. Where does that come from? I really, I really just want to be that. I really just want to, I have to say it because it, once you say it, it feels better. Oh, and it feels amazing. Yeah. And you know what? It turns out everyone's the same. Turns out everyone's nervous. We don't all have an opening line. You know, I, I do this. For, I talk for a living. Keith and the girl is my living, but I don't always have an opening line. I sometimes have to be like, okay, I'm going to walk up to that person. I just swallow really hard and I go and walk up to that person. If he doesn't like me, yeah, I'm going to be bummed. And I wish I, I wish I wasn't bummed. You know, I wish I wasn't, but I'm going to be bummed. And then I'm going to say, he doesn't like me. Maybe in a different time he would have liked me, which is bummy also. It's like even worse because maybe I could have had that better line. Hopefully the next person I meet will like me. <laughs> I'm not likable to everybody. You know, someone's listening to this show going, what a hippie. You know, 
That's okay. You can listen to the next show. I don't know what to do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, you know, it took me years of support groups and therapy to even consider saying something that vulnerable to somebody and that you're able to get there through intuition um, makes my jaw drop. Makes really? it, oh yeah. I mean, that is, um, so many people have such an aversion to that that kind of vulnerability, and yet that is the very thing that it took me ten years to learn is the thing that brings you closer to people. Yeah. Well, let me let me just state it. it whatever you hear took me all my life, and it's going to keep taking me all my life to get to wherever else it is. It doesn't matter. But but don't let time. You know, time is just time. You know, we are getting older. It is going to happen. All I'm actually getting younger. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah I turned back the, the hands of time. At, right. uh, I needed a ladder, but I, <laughs> I was able to do it. <laughs> uh, was there, was there a, th- a thought that you wanted to finish? Um, anyone who does feel vulnerable and weird and doesn't know how to speak, I welcome you to talk to me. I love it. I love it. I love awkward people because you know what? A lot of times they have so much to say. They just need a good question or an interest they have to know that you're interested in them so that's all i think if i could tell your listeners something please act interested in other people they don't know that you're interested we're all standing there going i hope you like me if somebody is talking to you they're hoping that you like them let them know in any indication any indication what if they're pointing a gun at you (laughs) they like your money (laughs) (laughs) let's go back to uh to your childhood uh, or your adolescence, give me give me some seminal moments. I I, I want to uh, kind of play detective and find out where. And maybe there's no event or events that that kind of led to it, but to the feeling that you're not enough and that you had to be this this person that is zero or ten, specifically the ten. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around the question so that I could really answer it. Well, give me some more seminal moments from, from well, uh, childhood. And is it annoying that I want to go back? And, no. And it's just one of the things that I, I love. Uh, I don't think I can get annoyed at any question. I okay. don't know that there's a question that you could ans- that ask me that I would feel any negativity towards. Okay. Um, okay, so... I felt ugly. I just constantly felt ugly. Was anybody telling you you were ugly or was it just uh, something you arrived no. at? No, I just, I just, again, I just have the TV saying blonde and blue eyes. I don't think anyone was telling me I was ugly. I think my parents were telling me only good things. They were very positive in terms of you could be anything you want, which was so ironic later. Mm-hmm. But I I do think that they helped me gain this and this sense of self almost... I, and I, I'm wondering if they're kicking themselves for it because they wanted to give me this sense of self to become this thing that they had planned. But anyway, I didn't think that I looked good. Uh, and so I think that manic stage is let's find something that people like about you. So you're hilarious. You're over the top. You know, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a mask. I think it, it keeps you less vulnerable, even though you're 
you know, standing on a bar or something, yelling at people. It, it's not intimate. So that's what it is. It's the opposite of intimacy. When you're out there and loud, you seem like, you know, you're so easygoing and so not shy, but I still was shy. I still was not easygoing. I just was loud. And I think the thing that, because I was, I was that way too, especially in college and when I was drinking, and I think the thing that we mistake, because they both share in common uh, with intimacy and being an exhibitionist, is that they both get people to look at us. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, you don't really always want that. I do like being sexual, but I had to learn that not everyone should look at me that way. I. Uh, so did you feel like if you weren't overtly sexual, there wasn't going to be enough attention? Yeah, I would feel like you wouldn't even want to have this conversation with me if you didn't find me somewhat attractive, uh, because that's the way the world works. And it does in a way. I don't feel that way about you at all. I feel like you actually really want to get to know people, whether I'm male or female. But um, I did notice that guys, you can get their attention right away. You can um, chat with anyone. You can take fries off their plate, even though you don't know them. You know, there's, there's this thing that I think, and I think other women feel that way also. When you start developing, you're starting to get this attention, so you use that attention because otherwise... I don't know how to get other attention. I I just hear guys talking about people's boobs and, you know, especially when you're in high school. So give me give me some examples of moments that you kind of look back and cringe at where you were trying to be enough and you kind of I I used to go to Palladium and Limelight in the early 90s. I was 16, 17 in, in New York. Mhm. Uh, it was one of the, there was some of the bigger clubs, Webster Hall, that kind of thing. Always dressed slutty. Slutty as I could because I still felt fat, but I wasn't. Um, and uh, instead of, well, I, I would love dancing. I mean, I, I'm not going there just to, I just knew to get through t the door. It'll go faster if I don't wear a lot. <laughs> and um, and then... Was, were you dressing, was there a part of you that was dressing that way because you wanted to dress that way or were you dressing that way because you knew that would bring you more power? Both. It's a lot of fun to dress provocatively. It's a lot. And, and there was a style to it. It was a, a little darker than, you know, just wearing a bra out or something. I liked it. Um, I, you know, I, I look at girls sometimes when they're wearing something more provocative and I go, good for you. I know what that feels like. It's awesome. You know, it's, you can feel your curves and, you know, you feel sexual yourself, which I love feeling, you know, but uh, maybe I misplaced it more often than I wanted to. Maybe because I knew I was putting that out there, I might have um, not given myself an out for some sexual encounters because I thought, well, this is who I am. So I've, I, I've, I've put this on the table. Yeah. How can I refuse somebody that wants to eat it? Yeah. That's that was a really I know. gross. I was like I'm not going to agree was, with that, but yeah, I'm going to That was agree. really yeah. gross. Um <laughs> apologize for that one. What's um, funny is you can do that and still be a virgin. And that's what I did. So Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's why that 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 was such an awkward verb. I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't, Mm -hmm. um, you can do that. And, um, you know, they focus so much on virginity as a girl. Save your virginity. It's yours. Don't give it to somebody else. Uh, I never understood that 
um, messing around with someone would be fun for me. So when I first did it, I was like, why is it feeling good to me? I always thought I was going to give someone pleasure. I didn't know that it was going to be in return. Somebody should have gave me a warning because I was addicted right away. What a high feeling, especially, you know, the first few times, you know, you don't even, you almost don't even have to be attracted to someone so hardcore. It's like, wow, someone's touching me. So because they kept focusing, you know, and I say they, every adult, just save your virginity, save your virginity. I'm like, well, this isn't my virginity and this isn't my virginity. And just explain to your girls that it's going to feel good. And that's why people are trying to convince you to do it because it feels good to them. But I think that that part should be added that you're going to want to do it too. I didn't know that I would want to do it. I just thought it was something eventually that I would have to give to someone. That must have blown your mind. Oh my God. It was amazing. <laughs> was it your first orgasm? No. No, I don't know. Not at all. No, I don't think I came for a long time. I wasn't even masturbating. I didn't even know what that was. No idea. I just... It just felt good. It was a connection with a human being. You can have that orally, no pun, <laughs> mm -hmm. but you can have that by conversing with someone. I'm not talking about, you know, it's not, I, I get that it's not the same thing, but you can have a connection with someone that way. You can um, work with them and have a connection. You can get high off of those things and you can get high off of somebody caressing you. You can get high off of making up, making out. So maybe I wasn't coming, but I was getting high. Yeah. Was there shame attached when you would, were you getting the post-orgasm or the post- uh, Was I getting the downer? The downer of, you know, driving home and going, why did I, why did I do that? Um, was, was there regret? There was, uh, if any, uh, that why did I do that, maybe very few because I was having so much fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, it sounds totally normal and healthy to me, what, what you were doing. Maybe not the um, presenting yourself in a way that didn't feel authentic to you. It was still authentic. I, I enjoyed those outfits. I picked yeah. them out myself. I liked them. But, uh, but I needed to understand uh, where to go with it after it's on, you know, and, and, and how much of it is mine and how much I'm giving it to somebody else in terms of like, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have made out with that guy, but I did, you know what I mean? And so I did. Well, you know what? Guys do that too. I woke up a lot of mornings, uh, when I was in my twenties and would just say that, why did I, why did I do that? Why, you know, it felt good, but it, there's a part of me that felt, um, dishonest, you know, like I had put on a presented something to someone so that I could get that experience as opposed to it happening in a way that was right. organic. But it's hard when you're in a loud bar. That's why I always <laughs> hated loud bars, because I could never be myself. I can't sit and talk to somebody like uh, a, a human being. So you've got to kind of, ah, I'm the Joker, or I'm, right. you know, whatever. And it's just, uh, it, it turns my stomach when I see people waiting in line to get into a popular nightclub. Cause oh, I just remember how much I hated when my friends would want to go to those places. Cause I'm like, I'm never going to find a, a satisfying relationship in this. They're just looking at the clothes you're wearing and whether or not you're attractive and everything is based on that. And I fucking hated it. Yeah, and it is like that. 
And uh, I got frustrated if I didn't let in right away. But, you know, you're a 16-year-old girl. You're getting let in. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, I see a line, and I, I think nothing is worth that line. I don't know what they have in there. Ex- drinks that are too expensive? No. So you were 16, and you were going yeah. home with guys that were no. of legal drinking age? I don't think. No, I, n- I never went home with anyone in high school. I It was just, you know, it was... A palladium was full of nooks and crannies where you just, or right on the dance floor, you know, it's just, it was a very sexual place. So was Limelight. So was Webster Hall. So was any dance club. Dancing is very sexual and that doesn't mean that it has to be, but it is. Yeah. Um, I never went home. I was so scared. I didn't want to have sex and I knew going home meant sex. I was so scared of my own part I didn't understand how that could possibly feel good at all. No idea. One of the things that we said when you were getting ready to come to come record was you were like, oh, I don't want to cry. <laughs> I don't want to cry. What What is... What will make me cry? How dare you? <laughs> well, no, I, I don't necessarily want you to cry, but I want to know what is the stuff that you're, that you're guarding that's, that's in there that... Well, Lauren asked me to marry him, and uh, I didn't want to tell my parents. And so, but you have to. I don't even know if my dad knows I have a relationship with this person because um, my mom is our telephone. My mom does. She met Lauren. She came over. She stayed with us. She actually loves him. Um, Doesn't know about the trans thing, but that's like... So next level for this person is still dealing. So, so to, in in her mind, you're living as lesbians. Yeah, same sex couple, you know, and that is it. Just blew her mind. She didn't understand. She's like, "You've been dating men all this time. What changes in?" I was like, "I don't know. You know, what's the difference? What changes it or not? What's the difference if it is changed? I don't know. I'm not sleeping with someone to get back at you. I." have this life then you're not doing it right (laughs) how am i middle eastern at all (laughs) uh and so so uh about a week after my engagement i actually called my mom and i was like oh my god i don't i don't even know what's about to happen we got into a huge fight and and then we didn't talk for a long time do you remember what the words of the fight were or specifically what the... Yeah, she just she's like, I don't get it, so now what? And I go, well, now I'm engaged, so the next thing that happens when you're engaged happens. It just felt like she was going, well, where do monkeys go to get married? I was like, yeah, they just... I don't know, if, if you're my mom, I guess we'll talk about what kind of reception or what kind of wedding or... Do you think in her mind she was going to, how do I invite my friends to this? Yeah, Definitely. And how do I invite myself to this? I, I get it. It's very different. Um, no one is on the LGBT spectrum, or at least out about. There's no way. No one in my family is on this spectrum. There's absolutely no way. But no one is. No one's out. The Iranian president said we don't have any queers here. We don't have any gay people here. Good guy. Solid citizen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So where do you go from here? You know, I I have to understand that her traditions are different. 
Her upbringing is different. Her mind is different. She is a different human being. She's a lovely person, but we've clashed so much throughout so many years. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want, I don't want to explain this anymore. I don't want to explain my life. They don't know what I do for a living. They don't? No. <laughs> well, I guess it would be hard for... Oh, it would be terrible. Most, most this people interview, like over, she would want to kill me. <laughs> and most people over uh, 65, 70, I don't know how old your, your parents are. They're only 60. <laughs> yeah. That, but they don't, they don't understand what a podcast is, a lot of, a lot of people. Um, but they also don't understand, my parents don't understand why a woman would be so outspoken yeah. and so open about her sexual history and her life in general. Just keep that to yourself. I get that. You know, private people are private. This is their life also I'm talking about, so I do feel somewhat guilty. I don't want to, I don't want people to look at them in a bad light. I feel like... I think you've portrayed them in a very loving way. I think they are loving people. I think this is just so different. You know, you come from a different country. Yeah. Before that, you were in a different country. The way that they were raised, they are liberal people yeah. compared to that. So I have to give them credit for taking those steps yeah. that for them to get this far, this open-minded, this welcoming, to even come to New York and to even just be here and to, quote, forgive my life until now. I don't know. But at the same time, you don't know who I'm dating ever. You don't know what I do for a living, partially because you don't ask, partially because I don't want to tell you. And partially because you don't care. I think that's the biggest part. Because when am I getting married and when am I having babies is the thing that's on everyone's mind. And you know what? None of your business. Maybe I, I'll let you know. It's not like I'm hiding it. I, I'm not trying to not get married. I just, I don't, I, I came to a point where I don't, I didn't care if I was going to get married. And I think that that's where everyone should be. And if it happens, good for you. And if it never happens, who cares? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a good place to come from. Um, so you had this argument with your mom. Oh, God, it was so bad. And, and then I thought, oh, my God, it's real. <laughs> like, were, were any mean things said to each other? No, it's, it's more like the, the, the fact that I know what she's thinking and, and just. Judging you. Yeah. I don't think I do anything bad like i can't say that of course i do b things that are bad but i don't and think she, they've ever really been proud of something that i do that and, everyone else is proud of and here you have an accomplishment that is the pinnacle of what human beings aspire to which is to open your heart up and see somebody for who they are to see their soul i'm and, lucky enough to get that I don't, I don't think that that's a given. I don't think that we are. But it's what we aspire to. It's, that's, you know what I mean? It's you are one of the rare, you have this beautiful, rare experience. Yeah. Where you found what sounds to me like true love that comes from a really deep place. And your parents can't celebrate that with you. And quite the opposite. They're judging you negatively for that. Which is fine in the sense that then please go over there and do that. Make a decision to not talk to me anymore. Just make that decision and I'll accept it. And I'll know that you tried and I, I'll know that you loved me so much, but you just don't know where to put this. I get it. 
Stop voting against me. <laughs> that would be a nice place to start. Yeah. I don't... I get why people think it's weird because I get that not being able to picture something is makes it difficult for you to wrap your mind around it. So if you can't feel what this other person is feeling, it's hard to describe it enough for that person. It's just, for some people, it's impossible. So I get why, where it comes from, but stop voting against it. Stop, stop being aggressive about it. I don't get a lot of people's lifestyle. I get it, but I don't, I don't understand, like I know I would not be able to live that way, but if you're not hurting anyone, then I'll be over here. One of, one of my guests um, shared something that I thought was so beautiful and so all somebody can expect from a parent that doesn't understand it but loves their child is um, this guest is, um, I, I, think, I think it was a female guest who was talking about um, coming out to her dad and then walking around with her dad and her dad pointing out women that he thought was cute. <laughs> and which is so awkward, but yeah. so adorable because it's like he's trying. And yep. I think that's all people, I would imagine, in the LGBT community want is to is to feel that effort to connect. Yeah, at the same time, you're holding your breath because part of you knows that this person is coming from a, I don't know, I just always feel like you're a monkey. Let me try to do what monkeys do. I don't know. I think coming out is bullshit. I don't want to come out. You come out. You, as a straight person, you come out to your parents. See what that feels like. I'm about to date someone. They might put things in me. Why am I coming out to anyone? I don't get it. Did I... Did I commit a crime? Am I admitting something? Who cares? I don't think children should have to come out. I don't think I don't think anyone should bother with that. But we do have to because people want to know for some reason. Why are you hitting on me? They need a box. I don't even know what box I'm in. I don't know what box. That's been such a theme for many of the recent surveys and guests on the show and so many people feel like there's something wrong if they can't put their stuff in a box and it's so awesome that you've you've gotten to that place um well i get asked that a lot now because i'm dating a same-sex person so they want to know so are you a lesbian yeah does yeah. that annoy you i you have to get it you get it i would want to know that would want to be my question, right? I mean, we're all curious people. They're really just asking me about myself. So how do you feel now? But they're saying, so are you a lesbian now? Uh, and, and I always I'd ask me. I'll answer it. Don't ask me like an asshole. Though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ask me like you're really asking me. So are you fucking lesbian? <laughs> fucking yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think I am. But, um, but I get that uh, dating Lauren puts me on a spectrum. Uh, I don't care. Do you want to call me a lesbian? Call me a lesbian. I care to not be called a lesbian because I want Lauren to be recognized as more of a, as, as, as a, a straight man, man yeah. you know? Um, but 
we are still queer. So I'm in a queer relationship. That's an answer I have. Um, Did you talk to a construction worker and get it confirmed? <laughs> I will now. <laughs> uh, I think I might be pansexual because I feel like uh, it is the experience that I want. And I think that the experience could be had in any package. Uh, one of the questions that I think people should mind is um, if you and Lauren were to break up, what sex or gender would you start dating after? And that's not fair. You wouldn't ask someone who's married, getting married, or in a, a, a committed relationship who they're going to date after. That's a weird one. But, I, but I'm happy to answer it every single time. I don't know who I'm going to date after Lauren because I can't picture it. So where are you at with your parents right now? Well, it's been, I think, almost two months that we just didn't call each other. And uh, it's really weird because I think yesterday, I think after we decided that we're going to record together, my mom called me. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, now I could say that we are talking, but we're not. <laughs> uh, she called me. I did not pick up the phone call. Uh, I wanted to see what she had to say. And the weirdest part was she had to say only normal things. Hey, how are you? Just wanted to hear your voice. The usual message that I get. And I got livid. Stop pretending like things are not happening. And that that's what happened throughout my life is we'd get into this huge argument where I would make all my points and my points were really vulnerable were really like hey look at me this is i'm trying to express myself with the limited expressions that i've gathered up until this part of my life explosion then the next day as if nothing ever happened i'm i refuse to do that in my life now i refuse i can't i'm not going to let it go and the only people i keep letting it go for is my parents and now I'm wondering if I need to make the decision, maybe I just shouldn't talk to you guys anymore. Again, not because I hate you, not because I think you're bad people, because I don't know where to put this anymore. And it's painful. It is painful because, and I don't know why yet, because I... They're your parents, Lauren. Or, uh... <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> so what? They're your parents. So what? Because we all have a need to want to be loved by our parents, and, and I'm not why. saying, and I'm not saying that to say you should try to get this from them. I'm saying that's why it's so hard. That's why you have this impulse. We're born with that. But there's there's still just people, and we might not have gotten along if we just met. I think we would have gotten along fine, but we wouldn't have gotten along on a on a, a deep emotional intimate level. But I would have been like, oh, those are nice people I just met. They're lovely. You know, they live their life very honestly. They know who they are. I just don't think my personality meshes. So so why do I need it at all? Am I going to be upset on my wedding day? My brother's going to walk me down the aisle. Why am I getting upset right now? I get it. You don't like the way I live. I understand that. I don't think everybody needs to. So who cares? Obviously I do. But I don't know why. Tell me why. Paul, tell me why. Fuck, I don't know. If, I, if You're in dire straits if you're looking to me for answers. <laughs> I think it's because I, I recognize like, oh my God, is this, is, is this the family we are that doesn't talk to each other? Is this how people lose touch? Because I, I always thought that was crazy, but 
maybe we are. I just, part of me really wishes it was finite one way or another. Just tell me where we are. But I, I think I, I can't go back anymore to having a relationship where I constantly let things roll off me. I think I'm done with that. But So I don't know what the next chapter is. I can't dial that number right, th- right now, though. And you know what my opinion on that? Because I'm in the same place, is all I have to worry about is today. Do I feel like talking to my mom today? I don't. Then I'm not going to. I may feel differently tomorrow. And That's where I am, but I just actually it's been it's been a while that I I've I guess it's not fair, but I've wanted them to come to a decision, love me or not. I just realized why it hurt so bad. You know, for a person who makes people cry, you should really have tissues around. <laughs> <laughs> Let me grab one. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I should have gotten up and got it. <laughs> no, no. Thanks. Okay. So every time my mom calls me, she says, I love you so much. You're such a good person. It's so, it's so good to talk to you. And I often think, what did I say? I just kind of listened to you. So I guess you just need somebody to listen to. And that's fine. You know, you're a nice person. You have things to say. Fine. How could you tell someone you love them? Because everybody else is not saying I love you. So you can hate me. It's fine. But you're saying I love you. And then when you learn anything about me, it's so terrible to you. Who are you saying I love you to? So that's, what, that's the answer. I think I can't go on with this until they answer that. Who are you talking to when you say I love you? Because it's not me. Maybe they know deep down inside that I'm a good person and that's who they're saying it to. But I think they just think I'm a good person who keeps getting taken advantage of and I wish they would give me more credit so stop saying you love me I think I'll feel better that's so profound that's so profound see now I'm silent on an audio show (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm looking just, for I'm, you to tell I'm, me that that's okay. <laughs> it's more than okay. That's okay. that's that's brilliant. It's you've just summed up also how I feel about my relationship with my mom because she's been critical of things throughout my life and she's always telling me that she loves me and I just want to say then why do you treat me like a sexual object? Why do you touch me like that? Why do you talk for 20 minutes non-stop why do you why are you not why don't you embrace anything that I've told you that I love and keep trying to force the things that you want me to be on me isn't that's not love it, isn't it weird that I could nod at all of that and we didn't grow up the same we don't have the same issues we don't have an exact same relationship or the same differences with our parents. But, you know, I, I wonder if, if it's inevitable. It doesn't seem to be. But with the information that maybe our parents' generation had, is it inevitable that we would feel that way? Now we have new information. Kids are not stupid. 
kids have a soul. If you believe in a soul or a heart, they have a desire, they have all the things that we have. And it's our responsibility to just help guide it, not guide it on a path that we've already created necessarily, but to guide it in terms of maybe describing what they're going through so that they don't feel alone about it, letting them know that what they're doing is normal, maybe gently giving an opinion. But I think parents are lost a lot of times, you know, in a way they do love us so much, or maybe they just feel like it's their job to overprotect or they're going to drop a ball that's so fragile that it is the scariest thing that you can ever do in your life is to have children. I think I'm not a parent, but I think that's the best explanation I've ever heard. And that comes from a place of love. But it gets warped by their fear. Yes. I'm just really struck by um, how profoundly you are able to articulate the hurt that you feel in the situation that you're in, but in such a way that has such feeling and such compassion for everybody involved, and yet still able to have compassion and protection for yourself. It's, it's, um, it's profound. It's the only word I can think to, to describe it. You have this desire to get to know me, and that feels good. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thank I think, you. I think that's a nice note to end on. And uh, if people want to uh, check out your show, should they go to the website or just go to iTunes? Or it's called Keith and the Girl. And is there KeithandTheGirl.com? There is a KeithandTheGirl.com. Um, if you're on iTunes, you can easily find us there under Keith and the Girl. You spell my name Chemda if you're ever looking for me. But I would love you to check out my show. It's not like this. I will sound more obnoxious, but this is in me. <laughs> and um, I know I'm going to get uh, emails from people that want to contact you. So is it okay if I um, forward those to you or BCC you? Yeah, I'd love okay. it. Yeah, okay. I'd be amazed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're definitely going to get some emails because uh, <laughs> I really appreciate what you had to say. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed uh, that that conversation. I don't use the word interview because I injected so much of my, my stuff in there. Um, and steamrolled her a little bit. Uh, I did that kind of annoying thing where uh, I try to answer somebody's question before they do. And uh, I left it in there, though. Um, I'm trying to get better at not hating myself when I, quote, unquote, make mistakes. And it killed me to leave in the, uh, have you, uh, so do you have Jewish citizenship? Oh, when I played that back, I was like, oh, there's no way to edit it out. I Oh, God. But... Um, I get so many comments from you guys to stop being hard on myself, so um, I'm leaving those things in, but you you should know, it makes my fucking skin crawl. Um, Before I take it out with uh, some surveys, and there are a bunch of surveys, I figure, you know, it's the holidays, a lot of you are going to be traveling, you're going to be in your cars or on planes, Um, you can turn it off at any point, so, um, you know, might as well... Read as many as uh, as I feel like and let you be the judge of how long you, you hang in there. Um, want to remind you before we get to those surveys that there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined. You can go to the website, mentalpod.com, and make a one-time PayPal donation or uh, my favorite, uh, recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. Months? A month? Uh, once you set it up, you don't have to do anything until you decide to cancel, should you? 
uh, or your credit card expires. It's super easy to, to set up and it, it means the world to me. So God bless those of you that are uh, uh, donors. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, and you can also support us financially by going uh, when you shop at Amazon, enter through the search portal on our homepage. It's right-hand side about halfway down, not to be confused with the search box for our site itself. Um, you can also support us um, by transcribing an episode or going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, and boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show. And you can support us by spreading the word through social media. That helps greatly. Um, I think that's about it for the announcements. Let's get to... Uh, Oh, want to give you guys an update on uh, month nine of not opening my mail. Uh, that's not true because I would open like the gas bill and the phone bill and, and credit card bills and pay those out. But everything else was just literally a three-inch pile completely covering our uh, kitchen table with both of the leaves in. Um, and today I sat down and... Uh, and did it and it felt really good and then I even took care of some more stuff and I gotta say I'm I'm feeling it, it helped diminish some of the um, malaise hopelessness whatever you want to call it the, feel, the feeling of stuck like I'm never gonna feel vitality in my life again uh, I also want to recommend a TED talk by Andrew Solomon the uh, author of Noonday Demon and uh, another book whose name escapes me but he gives a half-hour TED Talk on depression and the thing that really, I really loved about it. I love the whole thing. I love, by the way, that he's American and he rolls his R's. you got to love that. Um, he is as blue-blooded as, uh, as they get. And he, he wrote, um, he said about depression, he said, the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's vitality. And I was like, yes, yes, because when I'm depressed, in depressions like I am now, it just, I, more than anything, I long for that feeling of vigor that, uh, that just disappears. All right, to the surveys. This is a new survey. Um, I added two new surveys. Um, I think I mentioned it last week. What helps you cope um, being hospitalized uh, or having a loved one who is hospitalized? And I also changed some of the questions on the shame and secret survey. This is from the being hospitalized survey. And it was uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself weightless lead balloon. She's straight and she's in her 20s. Why were you hospitalized? Uh, I was hospitalized for one week in my senior year of high school because I was a danger to myself. I was deeply depressed because the boy I was obsessed with had a girlfriend who I hated, of course. I had just come out of my introduction to film class. We had just started watching Flight 93, the movie that reenacted the airliner that was wrested from the control of, of the radical Islamic hijackers and ultimately crashed in a field in Newark, New Jersey. I would have always thought it was Pennsylvania. Um, I don't know if watching that movie triggered something in my perception that life was futile, that maybe if, in a, if I wrestled myself out of that awful pit I had dug myself into, I would still be unhappy and my life would still be a failure anyways. Like I saw my life as the plane, but some part of me was also the hijacker. And even if I managed to subdue that mental or emotional, quote, hijacker, my body, the plane, would still crash and burn. I remember starting to sob uncontrollably. I shook with every wheeze um, uh, made trying to hold back those sobs. Uh, oh, I see. I shook with every wheeze made. I shook with every wheeze 
made trying to hold back those sobs. Okay. That was kind of a difficult sentence to read. I'm actually going to start a um, a fund me campaign for me to successfully read that sentence at some point in my life. I'm going to need to bring in a staff of people, tutors, linguists, speech therapists, and then eventually your payment back as donors will be that I will successfully read that sentence. All right, continuing. Somehow I stumbled down the stairs and outside into the courtyard between my school's buildings. It was a sunny spring day. I remember wondering why I couldn't be like everyone else in my film class, why no one else was as affected. My thoughts didn't stop there. I thought, that's it. There is something wrong with me. I'm defective. I'm defective, and I'm weighing down everyone else in my life. I'm overly troubling my friends with my stupid problems. My mom is twice divorced, and she doesn't need me drowning her as well. I can't talk to my younger siblings. My dad and I can't exist in the same room for more than 15 minutes without a shouting match happening. I can just get in my car and find the nearest bridge to drive off of. I even had a plan on how to get past teachers or classmates, preventing me from getting to my car in the parking lot. I was marching towards my car when I made eye contact with my friend, M. She stopped in her tracks and grabbed me. I couldn't get past her. I collapsed onto her. I told her that I couldn't control myself. I said, please take my keys. Please take my keys. Take my keys. Take them. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive. Somehow she got me into the counseling office. I remember being locked in a room with a window in the door and given paper and crayons and being told I would wait there until one of my parents could pick me up. I credit M with saving my life that day. Now I feel like I should let her know how grateful I am to her after all these years. Describe your experience as a patient or visitor. When I arrived at the hospital and entered the waiting room, I immediately wanted to go back to school. I didn't belong there. There was a, quote, crazy person already in the room, leaning on a windowsill, holding a TV remote to his ear and talking haggardly into the bottom of it. It didn't take long to be called for my evaluation. I wasn't crazy like this guy. I was just defective. The nurse took a measure of my heartbeats, my breathing, my pulse, my blood pressure, etc. I joked with him that I was nearly a vampire because no one could find my pulse a week or so before in my anatomy and physiology class. He chuckled and my hope rose that I could just go back to school if I could convince him I wasn't crazy. After a few minutes, he re-entered the exam room where I and my mother were idly talking about the institutional decor and objectively discussing how there was nothing I could hurt myself with in the room. We've always shared a dry, matter-of-fact sarcasm. The nurse offered me the matrix question. He posed it, say I have a red pill in my left hand and a blue pill in my right. The red pill would end your pain and everyone else's pain, but you would die. The blue pill would relieve your pain and you would live, but it only works over the course of a few days. I thought I could tell he wanted me to pick the blue pill, so I did. I thought the blue pill would indicate that I wasn't crazy and I would be released back to school. I was still admitted into the ward anyways. After this recent reflection, I realized that the red pill, blue pill scenario wasn't to determine if I needed to be hospitalized. It was used to see what I wanted in that moment and perhaps how long I would need to stay and how severe my intentions really were. Even though I had just turned 18, my mother convinced the hospital to admit me to the teenage psych ward instead of the adult ward. I remember throwing a crying tantrum in my room after my shoes, my phone, my iPod, my pens and pencils, and anything else I could hurt myself with was taken away. I cried and whined so long that my voice gave out and I was given medicine that knocked me out. 
The next day, I was so sick I couldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't get out of bed. I begged to go home. Gradually, as I recovered, I was allowed more and more privileges as I behaved like I knew they wanted me to. My thoughts were no longer suicidal. I was just intently focused on leaving the hospital as soon as I could. I don't remember what they taught me there or even what kinds of pills they gave me. All I remember is that on the day I was released, I was ecstatic. I practically skipped out of the ward with my shoes in my hands and my belongings bouncing in the duffel bag I had slung on my back. I think it helped, but six years later, I still can't fathom how. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is from the Happy Moments uh, survey filled out by um, Balky, who writes, Summer camp, but only as a leader counselor. Just the togetherness you feel with the staff, the fun you have with the kids, the deep honesty between everybody. I had those moments as a kid too, but then someone called me a faggot. I think people that go to camp identify with it so much as a happy place because it's actually much closer to how humans should be living their entire lives. In tight groups of 40 to 100 people, living and sleeping together in family units, getting up in the morning, working on tactile tasks, and doing uber-physical jobs all day, and eating in a group after you've legitimately built an appetite and burnt requisite calories. Then capping the night off by sitting around a fire to share stories and be as social and open as possible. Fuck, you're making me want to go to camp. I love that. Love that happy moment. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by a guy who calls him, oh, by Balky. We got back-to-back Balky. Um, his struggles, exit, I'm going to have to do another crowdfunder for this one. Exic- <laughs> existential malaise, fear of loss, procrastination, uh, and low motivation. And what has helped him? Acceptance, therapy, reading, and talking. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, the new and improved Shame and Secret Survey, filled up by a woman who calls herself Bamboo. She's straight, in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, uh, but she has been emotionally abused. I was naive and in love. I took a Psychology of Women class, handle, handing me a list of red flags your partner is an abuser to realize I had to get out of the relationship. I wasn't even his girlfriend. I was a surrogate while his real girlfriend that he supposedly was going to marry was away at a college an hour and a half away. He used my attraction to him to his advantage and what started out as a friendship became an affair. That's what I get for falling for the first guy to tell me I was pretty. Um, if you have been abused, are there any positive experiences with the abuser? Uh, looking back, I was definitely played, and I cut off all communication with him and his friends as soon as I, quote, woke up. The only good thing that came out of it was that he introduced me to the group of friends that include my now awesome boyfriend of the last six years. Deepest, darkest thoughts? I wish for some sort of act of God to just take my life away so I can die guilt-free. Secrets. I'm a liar, and it's not usually out of guilt or malice. I have always had a poor memory in saying, I forgot don't remember, was never good enough for my mother, so I got into the habit of making things up that are more half-truths than lies. It is now instinctual, impulsive, and I can't stop. would love to have you as a guest. Um, sexual fantasies being taken from behind with my hands tied, nothing too kinky. Um, how would you like to speak up in your life? Um, I think this is what she'd like to... Oh, um, she'd like to say to a, a district 
manager. Uh, I hope you fucking die in a gasoline fire. Can't say it to her face because it's not very nice and I fear confrontation. Even if she is the district manager for a retail company I left because she is a true ginger without a soul. Uh, what if anything you wish for? A stable paying office job. Retail is slowly driving me insane and I want nothing more than to deal with as few people as possible and still make a living wage. Uh, have you shared your feelings with others? Yes, most people relate to my wanting to get out of retail. How do you feel after writing these things down? Neither better uh, nor worse. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't be ashamed of being taken uh, taken in by an emotional abuser. They have practiced the art of emotional manipulation and it's not your fault. And I second that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by a woman who calls herself curled up. Um, her struggles, anxiety, hypochondria, negative obsessive thoughts, panic attacks, sleep paralysis, depression, food addiction, restriction. And what has helped her, 12 steps, especially with Al-Anon, uh, not resisting. Medication helped in the past, not currently taking anything. I'm open to it in the future. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by um, uh, trans uh, trans male, um, female to male, uh, calls himself nephew. Uh, let's see, he is pansexual in his 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, I had a male cousin that was four months younger than me, and he oh, he was always stronger, though I was taller. He would force me to kiss him and touch him and allow him to touch me, or he would threaten to tell my mother and our grandmother. He never penetrated me, but gave me oral a few times. It went on from around five till middle school when girls from his school reported that he had made them have sex with him. My mother and grandmother questioned me, but my shame and guilt for being older and taller than him made me keep quiet, not to mention I was hiding my male gender identity, so I felt keeping it in was the best way to keep my other secrets in. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, never been emotionally abused. I had a mother that would spank, but she would also tell me how dumb I was when I didn't uh, get good grades in subjects I had trouble with. I would say telling any kid that they're dumb is emotional abuse. Um, she would uh, tell me how she and my grandmother wasted money on me learning to play piano when I wasn't Mozart. They constantly questioned if I was a lesbian and my grandmother made it clear how disgusting she thought homosexuals were. I was told I was lazy constantly for sleeping a lot when I was in middle school and high school, I slept as often as possible not to have to deal with life. I was forced to wear dresses as punishments when I didn't get good grades because my mother knew how much I hated them. The longest stint of time was a month. Every day I wanted to die. There are others, but I'm sure you don't want to read a novel. Um, I don't know how you could put that you weren't emotionally abused. That is so clearly emotionally abusive. Um, our... Have you had any positive experience with abusers? Yes, my mother was my best friend, as was my grandmother. Uh, well, I would say get better friends, um, and I'm not trying to make fun of you. It, it's, oh my God. I saw emotional abuse as normal, so I didn't know it was abuse until I was in college. Now it's very hard to talk about my childhood with my mother because we have such different memories of how it went. She sees it as far more positive than I do. Um, 
deepest, darkest thoughts. I used to wish to be an orphan so I would have no one to disappoint. I have thought about killing my mother when I was in high school and uh, the deepest depression. Yeah, you know, there, there's usually a pretty good chance that there's some type of abuse going on in your home if you are dreaming of being with another family. Um, deepest, darkest secrets. My deepest secret was that I uh, was that I did s- sexual things by... I, I think this is a typo. My deepest secret was that I did sexual by my younger cousin, mostly because I feel like it was in my control and I could have stopped it. I guess it was the things I did, the sexual things I did. I don't know. Because I feel like it was in my control and I could have stopped it, but allowed it to happen. I allowed him to manipulate me and force me to allow him to do with me what he wanted. One of the reasons I have this torn feeling that it wasn't really sexual abuse. Um, Let's see. And I think the name of it isn't as important as the feelings that are left in its in its wake. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being submissive to a gay man or a trans woman who still has her dick. I want to be forced to suck her dick as well as be anally penetrated by him slash her. I want to be forced to swallow his or her cum. I want to be bound and spanked and humiliated. It makes me horny as fuck. I don't feel shame about it. More so sad that I may never find anyone to act out this fantasy with. Not many gay men or trans women want trans men. Um, again, my my uh, reading a fantasy, triggering something in my uh, in my dogs. Do I need to pause here? Are we going to be quiet? Um. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I want to tell my cousin that I remember what he did and don't want to ever see or speak to him again. But because no one in the family knows I still see him at times and he follows me on Instagram, I fear that if I block him, it will open all this up to the whole family and they will look at me different. At times, I just want to tell the truth, but I'm afraid that my family will use it to undermine my transition. I have an uncle that believes I only transitioned out of grief from the loss of my grandmother or other issues the family doesn't know about, but I have always felt like a boy, and when I was very young, I used to express it to my father until he made me feel like it was wrong. Then I just shut up about it. That just breaks my heart. Um... What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish science would hurry up and allow me to have a dick like a biological male. Have you shared these things with others? I have shared my wish for for science uh, to hurry up and allow me to have a dick like a biological male. All the rest I have kept under wraps. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel a weight lifted in a way, but I also feel ashamed because I am still hiding these things. I would would encourage you to not feel ashamed about that. You know, they come out when when they come out. And the last thing you need to do is pile more self-hatred on yourself. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Uh, you aren't allowed. And I have much love for all that are going through life with the weight of these issues on their hearts and minds. Oh, you aren't alone. People that type their things out on on phones, please double-check them before you submit them because a lot of times... Uh, uh, it changes the word and um, or I could proofread these more closely before I read them but I'd rather put the blame on you it is the holidays Uh, you aren't alone and I have much love for all that are going through life with these weights the weight of these issues on their hearts and minds Um, 
Thank you so much. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, um, filled out by a, a woman who calls herself Anna Banana. Uh, her issues are a neglectful and dysfunctional childhood. And what has helped her, I've been in therapy for 11 years. A combination of talk therapy and medication has done wonders for me. For the most part, my bipolar is under control and I can spend my energy focused on behavior and relationship improvements. A few years ago, I started making sure I did something creative at least once a week. It completely changed my stress level. I think it was partly that I needed a creative outlet generally and partly the fact that I was setting aside time each week to do something for myself. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Nap Addict. Love her already. Um, she is straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I have very distinct memories from childhood, maybe 10 years old or so, of my dad coming to tuck me in and would put his hand up my shirt and rub my belly, then my chest. It made me uncomfortable at the time, but since no other sexual abuse ever occurred with him, I find it very hard to think it was deviant behavior. It's such a strong, vivid memory that I can't shake, though. It also inform- I was also informed that my mother walked in on my cousin molesting slash fondling me as a young child. No one in my family has discussed this with me, and I'm too embarrassed or uncomfortable to ask about it now. He has three daughters and is no longer in contact with my family for reasons that have nothing to do with this. I have never talked to anyone, not even my husband, about either of these things. You ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, She has, and she checks both of those. My father was very physically and emotionally abusive to my mother, brother, and myself spankings that went too far and left bruises that we would have to lie about at school to being hit in the head with forks at the dinner table to the last straw before my mother finally left he grabbed my brother 14 at the time by the neck and tried to choke him his fingernails dug in the skin on his neck and left a long deep gash and bruises pure insanity um any positive experiences with your abuser uh she didn't fill that part out Deepest, darkest thoughts, I'm ashamed to admit how often I think of an ex-boyfriend. I'm married with a child but can't seem to get over this one person. Deepest, darkest secrets, cyber-stalking the ex-boyfriend. The molestation, I talked about that earlier. Um, Fantasies, not so much fantasies but lots of memories of past sexual experiences with an ex. What would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would love to tell all the people my father conned into believing he was a great guy, the truth of who he was and the lives he destroyed. I should have gone to his funeral to do just that. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want my son to be happy in whatever he chooses to do or be, just happy. Have you shared these things with others? No. How do you feel after writing these things down? No different. Thank you for sharing that. This is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Care Bear. She writes, it doesn't start happy. I tried to kill myself by overdosing on my medication and I was sitting in the emergency room being forced to drink charcoal. I made a mess with it all over my face, hands, gown, and blankets. My partner at the time came over with a wet washcloth and gently wiped off my hands and face with it, telling me how I was going to make it and how much he cared about me. At that moment, I felt like my heart was going to burst. I fell in love with him that day. This is from the What Has Helped You 
survey. I like how I asked that like a valley girl. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. Uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself Canyon Arrow. His issues, just wanting uh, to passively die. And what helps? Pets. For example, I'll ask people if they'd like to spend the day hiking in the mountains and no person can give a fucking straight answer. Well, maybe if I, uh, I'll have to get back to you, etc. My dog will go out for a day of hiking whenever I ask. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, this is from the What Has Helped You. Um, what are your struggles? This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Dan. Uh, struggles in January 2011, I was lost, alone, and depressed. I'd been depressed before, but this was the first time I actually knew it was depression. I wanted to start self-harming because I felt dead inside. What helped? I never self-harmed in the end and have nev- and never have. Instead, I got ice cubes and squeezed them in my hand until they melted. This might sound strange and might not work for everyone, but it certainly worked for me. I can't explain it, but you should at least try it. You have nothing to lose. And I've heard, maybe you heard, got that tip from Marsha Linehan, who is considered the world's foremost expert on uh, borderline personality disorder, also now known as emotional dysregulation uh, disorder. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Kelly. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported. Uh, She was physically and emotionally abused. Uh, No positive experiences with the abuser. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I always imagine my kids being brutally beaten or sexually abused. When driving in the car, I imagine driving off an overpass to kill all of us to save them from all of the hurt and disappointment life brings. I am so paranoid someone will hurt my children and I will not be able to protect them. Secrets. Before I had kids, I would have sex with older men for money, drugs, or alcohol. I have never told anyone and I am disgusted that I allowed men to treat me so badly. Um... Fantasies, when having sex with my husband, I imagine he allows his friends and anyone who wants to join uh, take advantage of me. Uh, What would you say to someone that you haven't? Uh, I want to tell my parents they totally fucked me and my brother up. Their selfishness to this day will never be forgiven and they will rot in hell for their actions. What do you wish for? Total happiness and that my children will not have the struggles and sadness I have. Have you ever shared these feelings? My husband is amazing. He knows most everything. He loves me more than anyone ever has. How do you feel writing this down? Anxious. Thank you for that. This is from the What Has Helped You, filled out by Puckish. Uh, Issues, self-harm, graphic negative thoughts. What helps? Ativan and avoiding disappointing situations. Uh, This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Mama Bear, He is straight in his 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, and he qualifies, not aware of anything, but recognized some of the behavioral cues of victims in myself, early interest in sexualizing my peers, self-isolation, being a pleaser. Uh, He's been physically and emotionally abused, uh, all by my current spouse. I believe she has a borderline personality disorder and have attempted to confront her Uh, I believe she needs help. Emotional, I've been yelled at, told unspeakable things about myself, and threatened with what she feels are my biggest fears. This list often includes how she will leave me, hurt me financially, and keep me from our son. 
Within hours slash days, it can be the opposite. Loving words. And I just said that because you made me angry. As I write this, I'm realizing how this sounds like typical abuser language. The writing is cathartic. Uh, physical abuse. I'm a big strapping fella and would never retaliate to the physical abuse my wife has issued. She knows this and it emboldens her. We've been driving down the road after a particularly bad dust-up after a Sunday brunch when I began to record her angry behavior on my iPhone. This enraged her, and she unbuckled her seatbelt, came across the car, hitting me in a dense 50-mile-per-hour traffic with our son in the car seat behind us. Recently, while going to bed, I remarked about her behavior that uh, started her hitting me in bed with the lights out. What often starts as a quiet occasion can rapidly spiral to violence. My response to these is to be passive, withdrawn, and to sit on good ideas for things to do. It's a passive-aggressive thing, I know. Are there positive experiences with your abuser? Yes, we got married, lived and traveled the world together, and created a life together. Since the birth of our son, it has become bad enough that I'm finding solace and fantasizing about a new life on my own. Darkest thoughts? I've thought about killing her. When she's ranting and belittling me, I think about how nice it would be to whack her on the head with a hammer. I'm reminded of the Beatles song, Maxwell's Silver Hammer, and since this song is so lighthearted, who could go through with it? I cannot emphasize that this is just a thought without any planning or intention. Uh, Secrets? When my wife first told me she was pregnant, I decided that if she miscarried, I would leave her. She didn't. And while I love my son immensely or intensely, I still have intense feelings of being trapped. Fantasies. I'm not sure why, but I've wanted to have sex with someone who trusted me and accidentally not pull out in time, leaving them with a fun load of my cum. Not sure how I feel about this. It's been of interest to me for a few years and is falling out of fashion. I like that, that phrase, falling out of fashion. Like people are walking down the runway, pulling out and, and not pulling out. Actually, you wouldn't be able to see that. Strike that. I know that everyone has a sexual fantasy, but this one strikes me as odd. I've never been unfaithful to my wife, but I wonder why my fantasy requires betraying someone's trust. Uh, what would you like to say to someone that you haven't? If I ever left my wife and didn't feel she'd use custody of my son uh, as a weapon, I'd want to reply to the horrible things she said to me, insulting her body, berating her intelligence, and letting her know how disappointing she's been as a wife. What do you wish for? For my son's developmental delays to diminish over time. He's two and a half and terribly smart, but still not talking. Have you shared these things with others? Sadly, no. I live some distance away from family and close friends and have no one other than my wife to be intimate with. If I shared any of these things, I think it would go incredibly poorly. My wife has a good deal of sex negativity and insecurity about both our relationship and her post-birth body. How do you feel after writing this down? It's nice to see these things written down because they're feelings I've been having for a while but haven't integrated into one narrative. I think if a friend or family member read this and found out it was by me, they'd be surprised by some of what I put up with and sad that they don't think I could approach them to discuss it. It makes me realize that I need someone to confide in to either start restart therapy or find a friend or family member that I can confide in. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you're not a regular listener of the Mental Illness Happy Hour, keep listening. You'll find that there are many other yous out there. Then, as you're walking through your life, looking like someone who has all their shit together, you can look at the crowds of people and try to guess 
which are your unhappy brethren and feel a sense of camaraderie. Thank you for that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Mommy's Gone, about his, um, uh, his issues are abandonment, anxiety, dread, and fear of love addiction. And what helps? Lots of masturbation to take the edge off the emptiness for a few minutes, staying away from women that I'm attracted to, binge-watching TV, gym, parking in front of my laptop for hours, doing nothing of any value at all. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Monkey Son. He's straight, in his 40s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, I got raped at knife point on July 4th, 1991. I buried it for years and even went through a 18-year relationship plus 13-year marriage without telling anyone. I've since told a couple of therapists, close friends, and a family member. I think at the beginning I was determined not to let the rape define my life. Within a half year of the incident, I was brutally attacked at a UVA fraternity and strangled to the point of having scars for weeks on my throat, but told no one and hid them with turtlenecks. Life sure was confusing for a while, but is pretty excellent the past couple of years. Ever been physically or emotionally abused? Um, been emotionally abused. Dad was a rageaholic and had arguments daily. He busted my door down one day, but never hit me, besides a few spankings to my rec- recollection. I learned to avoid conflict and stay off the radar. Uh, any positive experiences with the abuser? Dad turned a page later in life, but he passed a couple of years ago before I really got to reconnect. Darkest thoughts? Watching women pee and poo and playing with it. Laugh out loud, so dirty. Deepest, darkest secrets, I'm addicted to jerking off on camera. I do it with cam models whom I pay. Oh, and a friend swears he saw a dog fucking me when I was passed out. I don't speak with him at all anymore. Um, Fantasies, I guess being with a couple of women or a transsexual male to female uh, rank highly. I love women and I wish I had more confidence to approach them. Usually they pick me up. I've already shared this with other people. Um, anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't? Sorry to people I hurt in the past. This isn't a huge list of such people, but I have enough on my plate as it is. Uh, what do you wish for? I just wish for a happy life that I will be satisfied with looking back uh, when I'm very old. I think I'm doing straight with that. Oh, doing all right with that. Uh, have you shared any of these things with others? Yes, I've shared these things and it went well. I'm an open book if one is friendly and not judgmental. How does it feel writing this down? I feel fine. I have sought out therapy throughout my life and often found it very helpful. I hiked the Appalachian Trail last year and burned through a lot of the mental crap ricocheting around my brain. That's a great verb to describe um, the shit that goes around our brain is it does ricochet it. And for some reason, when we sit down and we write it out, it slows it down and a lot of stuff can become clarified. Uh, Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or feelings? Go to therapy and exercise regularly. Go into the woods and let the fact that you are part of this wonderful thing called life sink in and empower you. Thank you for that. Well, we have got a lot. I'm about halfway done with the surveys. kind of like that I'm just throwing throwing caution to the wind. And maybe this will be two hours and 40 minutes. Who cares? Um... 
This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by Lisa. Uh, her issues, I'm a recovering codependent, bulimic, overeater, and was sexually abused at five. Um, grew up in uh, a home where every member in my family struggled with bipolar and or depression, and my father, uh, in a bipolar episode, abandoned us when I was 12. Um, how do you, What helps you deal with them? Uh, CODA, OA, talk therapy, journaling, your podcast, texting others in recovery, uh, the power of now, uh, and Eckhart Tolle's YouTube guided meditation uh, as needed. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Goo Bits. She is straight in her 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, I was molested when I was six. I told my parents in my early 20s, but didn't report it to the police. I don't think I could handle going to the authorities, only to have it come down to he said, she said bullshit. Sometimes I get the urge to look him up on Facebook, but have resisted thus far. He was not related to me, but he was the sibling of a girl who went to the same babysitter as me. I was six, he was 16, and it lasted approximately six months. Uh, she has been emotionally abused. My ex-husband was quite emotionally manipulative and abusive. He ne uh, never really considered it abusive until I was free from it to actually look back on what had happened. He suffered from depression and anxiety, and when he cheated on me, he used his own devastation at his mistress ending things to become suicidal and self-injuring in a manipulative way so that I wasn't allowed to be angry or hurt. He never worked and I was working a very stressful job, having to come home on my lunch breaks to make sure he didn't kill himself over this woman. He told me that it was my fault that because I have sexual dysfunction from the abuse and subsequent lack of trust from his affairs, that it was all my fault for him repeatedly cheating on me. He would try to shame me from doing things by telling me I was fat and stupid. I wasn't allowed to watch TV shows he didn't like or enjoy music he didn't like or even activities he didn't like. He would constantly belittle me for my tastes in the aforementioned categories. And if I was enjoying something while he was present, he would be obnoxious the entire time, ruining the experience for me. There was a lot that happened, and this was just the tip of the iceberg. He made me feel like I was a... I was worthless. Actually, I guess I allowed him to make me feel that way. Um, any positive experiences with the abuser? There were positive experiences with my ex-husband, which made me feel like I was overreacting to things. Deepest, darkest thoughts? I get turned on by thinking of being dominant over a submissive male. Femdom things interest me. I guess it's because of my desire for control. I like bondage and punishment, humiliation, etc. Secrets, my fantasies, haven't really acted any out. Also, it's a secret that because of the trauma I've experienced, I'm kind of afraid of my own vagina. Sometimes I wish I was a nun, but then remember, I'm not Catholic and probably an atheist, which probably wouldn't fly. Fantasies, dominance over a submissive male, kind of an effeminate male, which is weird because I like big hairy guys. If I were a gay man, I'd be into bears, but my fantasies involve very skinny, slightly femmy guys. I like the idea of forced feminization and pegging a guy. What would you say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my ex-husband that he's a worthless piece of shit for what he did and I'm glad I never have to look at his tiny micro-penis again and that his new girlfriend, who was a so-called friend of mine who cheated with him, will probably tire of it soon, too. Uh, have you shared any of these things with others? No, I haven't shared it with anyone. 
How do you feel after writing this down? Ashamed. I shouldn't feel this way regarding my fantasies. I feel like I am broken, that it isn't feminine or ladylike, and that I'll never have a normal sex life. I thought your fantasies were hot. So there's one vote that you can give a shit about or not give a shit about, but I don't see anything in your fantasies that aren't awesome. I say find somebody and indulge them and see how it goes. Um, Let's see. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Healing, uh, about her child sexual abuse. What helps her is therapy, neurofeedback, journaling, and painting. By the way, I'm about maybe eight episodes, eight episodes, eight, eight visits, sessions into doing neurofeedback, and I'm going to be doing... Um, uh, a show on it um, coming up soon. I don't know. I'm hoping that it's gonna that it's gonna help. Um, but stay stay tuned. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled up by a woman who calls herself Jay. She is uh, bisexual uh, and she adds questioning in her twenties. Uh, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Parents were never married, lived with my mom that was emotionally distant and still is, and visited my dad that was verbally abusive every other weekend. That sounds a little more than slightly dysfunctional to me. Um, you know, when I think of slightly dysfunctional, I think about, you know, maybe a parent who's neurotic and kind of, you know, annoying to be around. But when when people don't provide for a children's basic emotional um, necessities and help them feel protected and heard and cared for. Um, to me, that's more than slightly dysfunctional. Uh, she's never been sexually abused. She has been emotionally abused. Um, oh, hold on one second. Had to pause that for a second. The uh, theme music was starting to kick in. Um, Deepest, darkest thoughts, uh, possibly being raped and liking it, wanting to be a porn star that's taken advantage of and treated horribly. Secrets, I've had threesomes with my stepsister and her long-term partner. Um, Fantasies, haven't thought about it too much, but right now I'm craving having sex with someone that forcibly initiates sex. Um, What would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Uh, Tell my mom that I wanted her to be more open with me and that I need her more than I let on. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, what do you wish for? I wish my family could move to New York City with me. I wish that I could move out from my boyfriend's apartment. I wish that I could figure out my sexuality. I wish I was perfect but stopped feeling the pressure to be perfect. I wish I knew who I was and not give a fuck who didn't like it. Uh, have you ever shared these things with others? Only shared about my family and boyfriend's apartment. How do you feel writing this down? Sad and tearful. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or feelings? Tell me how to fix it. Well, I'm sending you a big hug. Know that you are not alone. Let's see. I'm going to save this one for another day. Because actually my voice is starting to get tired. Um, this is... This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Andrea. She is straight, in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. 
uh, was doesn't know if she was sexually abused or not. My two and a half year older sister was molested by an older neighbor boy, and she then acted out upon me, my little sister, and our cousin. Everything was over our clothes, but I still think it affected me. Uh, she has also been both uh, physically and emotionally abused. My mom never hit us with a closed hand, but we were smacked, rarely on the face, spanked with belts, pinched hard, and once she spat in my face before I caught the bus. Any positive experiences with your abuser? Yes, because it was my mom, and I love and am thankful for her. She never, quote, beat us, but smacks, pinches, etc. are still abuse. She was a single mom with three girls, and while she's probably one of the nicest and most selfless people, raising us alone was beyond her capacity, I think. Also, had her own childhood trauma to deal with. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts? I imagine being a prostitute just to be able to make money doing something that feels good and I love doing. Uh, secrets? I listen to erotica books all day while I'm at work. Fantasies? Having a three-way with two guys, watching them touch, kiss, fuck each other as well as me. What would you like to say to someone you haven't? I would tell my first boyfriend, whom I dated for five and a half years, that I'm sorry for the way our relationship ended and the emotional roller coaster I dragged him through when I started down the road of anorexia and bulimia. What do you wish for? That I was a normal person. Have you shared this with anyone? Nope, I don't talk about anything with anyone anymore. I've isolated in order to feel like I'm in control. How do you feel, after writing this down, irritated that I'm still so messed up? Let somebody love you. Let somebody into your life. Let somebody know what's going on with you. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey. Actually, this one's kind of long. I never thought that I would, I would, uh, I would crap out reading uh, reading the surveys, but uh, I'm I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to thin the herd as I go through it. I've I thought I would uh, be able to handle this more, but. Physically, emotionally, I'm all right. It's because I'm dead inside. This is uh, from the Happy Moment survey filled out by uh, Itchy One, who writes, I love waking up to the snowfall, opening the bathroom window to have a cigarette, and seeing a family of juncos, birds that are rare to this area, had dug a tunnel in the snow to retrieve the bread that I left out the day before. I photographed their moves and felt alive and happy. Not only that I fed them, but they were smart enough and diligent to dig through ice-crusted snow to find food. It reminded me of my own resilience and fortitude in times of need. I love that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey and filled out by a guy who calls himself Winter about his depression and suicidal thoughts. What helps are antidepressants and the self-belief that I can survive this. This is from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Peter. He is gay in his 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, some stuff happened, but he doesn't know if it counts as sexual abuse. When I was about eight, my stepbrother at the time, uh, my father divorced that woman and got remarried again, and I were forced to shower together. Uh, not sure exactly why. Each time he would sort of play with himself and expect me to watch. He wasn't erect or anything. Then at night we would share the same bunk of the bed, um, leaving the other one empty, and he would spoon me. I believe he was about 12 at the time, and I don't recall him having pubic hair, so I don't think he had hit puberty yet, so maybe it wasn't a sexual thing for him, but I could be wrong. You ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. 
Well, my father's personality is best summed up by a line from the movie, movie Matilda, great movie, that goes something along the lines of, I'm big, you're little, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm smart, you're dumb. And my mother, who I lived with, uh, I saw at most an hour a day, and she would never speak to me. She was almost always at work, and at home she would hide out in her room and read. I always presumed to escape the reality that she was a parent. Yeah, that's emotional abuse to me. That's straight-up neglect. Um, any positive experiences with an abuser? There aren't many good memories I have of my childhood, so I don't have enough guilt uh, to make me want to have them in my life now. Darkest thoughts? I always wanted to find a burglar in my apartment so I'd have a legitimate excuse to let my anger, uh, let out my anger and wail on someone with a baseball bat. That's awesome. Um, what are your darkest secrets? When I was 15, I was caught peeking at my male cousins and masturbating while I shared a bed with one of them. I got out of it without really getting any reprimand or even anyone talking about it again by bringing up what happened with my stepbrother and calling it molestation. I really don't know how that worked or why it made sense to bring it up at that moment, but the past is in the past. Fantasies, locker room sex fantasies. Not really anything too specific, just stuff mildly reminiscent of the first porn I remember watching. Jock straps, football players, and a little rough. I don't really have uh, shame about sharing since I don't think that's a weird fantasy. But the most prominent fantasy that I want more than anything is just emotional intimacy and feeling a legitimate connection with someone. Um, what would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? There's a guy I work with that I'd like to say that he's the most that he's the closest thing I have to a friend in my life and that he's the only person I feel comfortable with. He's straight and married, so I don't have any romantic expectations. I don't feel I can tell him this out of fear of rejection and the fact that once he stops being my coworker next week, I won't be able to find a way to organically have him in my life. What, if anything, do you wish for? Happiness, having no debts, being an orphan, so I'll have a more socially acceptable, understandable excuse to spend holidays alone. You know, the usual. Um, have you shared this stuff with others? They're pretty mundane desires, so I don't think people would be surprised or interested if I shared them. I disagree. I think it would help people get to know you better, and that would help with the loneliness and the isolation. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like my desire for loneliness is insatiable, and then I'm a pathetic excuse for a human being. Oh, buddy, I'm giving you a big hug. Big hug. Um, you're not a loser. This is from the Happy Moment survey, um, filled out by Henry, who writes, um, he's got two memories, actually. Um, I was about four, between four and six, I was in my pool playing a game where I would jump from the side of the pool and my mother would stand in the middle of the pool and catch me in midair. The feeling of knowing not matter, no matter what happened in the air, when I landed, I would be near someone that loves me and that I love. Um, and the second one is, he writes, this was towards the end of my depression. I was walking in the rain. I was soaked. I was cold. It was getting dark because of the clouds, and I was just listening to music, some peaceful piano piece, and I felt weightless, as if time had stopped, and I just thought to myself, okay, this is it. Whenever you feel sad again, remember how cold and wet you were. Remember the clouds. Remember that weightless feeling, and remember how warm it made you feel 
remember how it made you smile because everything has just gotten better. Those are two great ones. And this last one is filled out by Amelia. This is from the Happy Moments survey. And she writes, For the first 10 years of my life, my grandma raised me until my mom and dad moved me a thousand miles away. She was apparently abusive towards my mom, but she was wonderful to me. The only reason I am alive and functional is because I had her. I have so many happy memories of my grandma, but the one that sticks out the most is one day when I was about five or so when she took me to the community pool. I was a bold kid and thought I could take on anything. While my grandmother was distracted conversing with a neighbor, I swam out to the deep end and promptly started drowning. My grandmother was nearly 70 at the time and rather arthritic, but she leapt into the pool fully clothed and snatched me out of there before I knew what hit me. There was a lifeguard, but he was an inattentive teenager, and she reached me first. The water even damaged her watch, a cherished cherished gift from my late grandfather, beyond repair, but she didn't mind. She was just happy I was safe. I cried over that watch, knowing how she loved it, and she didn't even give, it, give me a scolding because she knew I'd learned my lesson. I have never felt more valued, loved, and protected than I did at that moment. Throughout my life, I feel like my grandmother was the one person who loved me unconditionally. I never knew it more than that day, crying on the side of the pool while she patted my head and dried me off. And she wore that watch for the rest of her life and was even buried with it, even though it never again told the time. What a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment to end. I'm so grateful for the the happy moments that you guys fill out. Um... They're they're so nice to to balance the darkness of the other serve and you know and I think the dark stuff obviously is really important too but um, I, if you haven't filled out happy moments yet um, please please go take that survey because it uh, it helps the show and it helps me personally um, in between me watching documentaries about serial killers. <laughs> um, thanks for listening uh, to this episode, guys and. Um, Hang in there. The holidays are almost over. We're we're in the third term turn coming down the stretch. And um just know that whatever you're going through, somebody else has gone through it, gotten through it, and um your feelings aren't gonna kill you, but sometimes running from them um might. So just hang in there and uh, know that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.